The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. My name is Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and I'm a neurologist and sports medicine specialist practicing in the tri-state area, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. Today... We're going to be covering sports medicine. We're going to be talking about knee injuries, Victor Cruz. What exactly is a patellar dislocation? And what does the future hold for Victor? How's he doing in his rehab? All those answers will be coming your way in just a few minutes. But let's start right at the top. We're right in the meat of the NFL. And I'm here with my co-host, Spencer the Wizard Grossinger. Let's dive right into NFL breakdown how's everyone doing today it's a beautiful sunday in mid-october it's a nice time of year with halloween right around the corner and the leaves are turning to brown and speaking of brown i guess that's where we start off first is in jacksonville florida where you have a three and two browns team that basically has a game at jacksonville Jacksonville's 0-5. This is a game where you need to survive and advance. The Browns are 3-2. and They're competing in the AFC North right now with teams such as Cincinnati and Baltimore, and they basically need to keep pace. And today, in this football game, the Cleveland Browns just laid an egg at the hand of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the thing about the Cleveland Browns today is that Brian Hoyer was throwing the ball way too much today. Brian Hoyer is a decent quarterback. He's not an elite-level passer. And when you have Hoyer throwing the ball 41 times, as Kyle Shanahan had him dialing up today, you're not going to experience positive results. You hang your hat on running the football with three pretty good running backs in Ben Tate, in Crowley, and in Terrence West. And you did not do justice to this offense. And basically, for Cleveland, they were one of few teams today that simply could not survive a game in which they should win. We now come to a break on our regularly scheduled show. It's called the Johnny Manziel Watch. Hoyer laid an egg today. He was dressed as a rubber chicken. And as you heard, the big news at ESPN.com was Johnny Manziel said he'll be ready for action, that he's learned how to take snaps under center, and he's ready to go. And this juxtaposes with Hoyer playing a bit like the dog. So, Spency, when is it time to take the wraps off Mr. Johnny Football. <laughs> well, I love that in so many ways. In other news, Johnny Manziel likes donuts for breakfast. That is another headline which ESPN will be spewing to us. But really, Brian Hoyer, to give the Cleveland boys some credit, I love this story of Brian Hoyer being the hometown hero and Manziel kind of coming in as this cocky college kid, which they portray him. And he is a very confident young man, Johnny Manziel. But you look at Brian Hoyer, the Browns are 3-3 three and three right now. Hoyer has played well this season, okay? Even though today at the hands of the worst defense he's faced, he's played poorly. You look at who Hoyer has to throw the ball to. He has Miles Austin. 
He has Andrew Hawkins. He has a bunch of C-list celebrity wide receivers that he's working with. And then he has uh, Jordan Cameron, who has been invisible and injured this season after having a Pro Bowl year last year. I I think it's too soon to really hook Brian Hoyer or take the leash away from Brian. So... I would definitely give Brian a leash of about two to three more weeks. I don't think it's just his fault. Although today's game, he can't have many more efforts like he did today. And unfortunately, with as well as Brian Hoyer has played, for the Browns to be 500 is is not a good indictment or is not a silver lining that is worth noting. Well, next we have a game that certainly looked on paper to be a mismatch. The St. Louis Jeff Fishers. Going against the Invincibles, that is, the Russell Williams, the Russell Wilsons, and of course, Beast Mode. <laughs> so, Seattle is having what we call post Super Bowl blues. <laughs> Could you please elaborate on that, please? Let's begin in St. Louis, the home of the Blues hockey team, which everyone has in the back of their minds as you use that pun. We look at St. Louis today, and this is called a classic trap game, trap game city at the Edward Jones Dome. It's probably not called that anymore, but for all tents and purposes, yes, it actually is the Edward Jones Dome. Anyway, what happened this week, Bruce? What happened this week in Seattle? You had one of the best young wide receivers in the league get traded for a, a bunch of of hockey pucks, okay? You had Percy Harvin go to the New York Jets, and they sent you maybe some sweeps, maybe some Windex. That's what they sent you back to Seattle. So you're like, what the heck? This dude's the star of the Super Bowl. This dude was so coveted in Minnesota. But then all this news breaks out that Golden Tate and Percy Harvin were having fights, that Percy Harvin couldn't cooperate. So you have all this distraction. All the media is focused on Seattle. And then you have St. Louis very quietly getting prepared prepared for their Super Bowl because when you're the defending champion you get everyone's best shot and Trey Mason this was his coming out party today okay he had 18 carries for 85 yards and a touchdown Austin Davis was efficient today throwing the rock and you caught Seattle slipping and the bottom line too is that you know Seattle they they did handle Denver So I still have confidence in this team. They still handle Denver, but you looked at Russell Wilson today. He was an absolute stud today. He threw the ball for 313 yards, ran it for 106. So he had almost 450 yards of total offense. He kept this team in the game. When Russell Wilson gets paid next year, Seattle is in trouble because then they will turn to a finesse team when right now they're a defensive powerhouse. So I just looked at Seattle. They they just pretty much underestimated St. Louis. St. Louis is a good team at home. And St. Louis played a wonderful game today. They had St. Louis actually scored on a um on on a on a trick play in special teams where all the guys on St. Louis ran to block for a dude that wasn't even catching the punt. And the actual dude catching the punt had no one blocking for him because when you're Seattle and you're running back to cover a punt, you don't actually watch the football. You just run and see where the blockers are. So that was a great call by Jeff Fisher. Also on fourth and two, Seattle came back in this football game after having mental lapses in the first half. So Seattle was... Seattle was down by two with three minutes to go, and they were going to receive the football back, but Jeff Fisher called a fake punt from his own 10-yard line on 4th and 2. So everything went well for St. Louis. It was a heck of a game for them and their fans. And and Russell Wilson is still a great player, but Seattle, uh, they definitely caught them slipping today. Absolutely. I'd like to draw a parallel between... Deshaun Jackson and Percy Harvin. This is something I haven't seen in watching football for 40 years. It happened twice in the same season. A number one wide receiver, that is Deshaun Jackson and Percy Harvin, both were essentially kicked off their respective teams. And I think that it's not the same situation, but a lot of rumors are coming out of Seattle and that Percy Harvin really had anger management issues. We saw him last year getting in a fight with his coach on the sidelines 
and he was such a disruptive cancer that he would fit in with no better team than the Rex Ryan Jets. So it also obviously you alluded to the fact that they have to drop they have to free cap space up for Russell Wilson's contract. Percy Harvard played exactly eight games in the last two years. Really, not a major factor in their offense. And by cutting him, you're freeing up twelve million of cap space next year. So I think that explains what's going on. And I think in Seattle, with looking at Percy Harvard, if you can't get along in Seattle with that coach, that team then you're going to have trouble getting along everywhere. And obviously, I think he's got some serious uh, mental issues, some serious adjustment issues. And this was really a startling development that a team just preparing for their, their run for the playoffs cuts Percy Harvin. And it, it's quite shocking, actually. We're coming to the end of our first segment. We've got a lot of exciting Stuff to talk about, particularly getting deep into knee injuries, patellar tendon dislocations, getting to MCL sprains. They come in different flavors. And we want to thank Ray Ellis, the sports director for VoiceAmerica.com, and of course, Jeff Spinard, the president of our network for amazing leadership. So guys, stay right there. We'll be back in three minutes. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Check your feelings at the door and enter the man cave. Don't let the name fool you, because we're here for anybody that wants to talk and listen in. Hosts J.D. Harris and Ray Austin are here to lead the forum from the fans, former players, owners, execs, and coaches. While inside the man cave, you do whatever you like. We won't judge. We'll even go beyond sports to talk technology, current events, and entertainment. Tune in every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and I'm here with my co-host, Spetcher the Wizard. We're diving right back into the NFL season. I'd like to talk about NFL's Game of the Week. This was much anticipated. Giants-Cowboys. And for the most part, the Giants held up their end of the bargain and made it a really exciting game. However, at the end... The Cowboys nosed him out to take a league-winning, league-leading, I should say, 6-1 and one record atop what was thought to be a weak NFC East. Shockingly, has two teams at the top, 6-1 and one and 5-1, and Eagles and Cowboys at the top. Spencer, we watched this together. We made some notes. What are your thoughts about Giants-Cowboys? Well, my thoughts are is that the Dallas Cowboys have a very formidable football team. 
I look at DeMarco Murray. He's finally been healthy for the first time in his career, and he's showing why he's worthy of a contract. And he's been running the ball at an excruciating rate. I mean, he ran the ball 28 times again today uh, with little help. Uh, even though Joseph Randall did play for Dallas, DeMarco Murray was still the alpha dog on that team. And he ran it 28 times, and he and he accumulated 128 yards on the ground. So immediately, when you think of the New York Giants and the staple of all their championship teams, you think of their defensive line. Today, they only had two sacks for 12 yards, as Romo was 17 for 23 throwing the football for 279 yards. And if you watch the specifics of the game, the Giants would drop a lot of people in coverage, and Romo would have a good seven seconds sometimes to throw the football. You look at Romo, he hit Gavin Escobar for two touchdowns in this football game and the one in the first quarter Gavin Escobar was wide open so the New York Giants defense is not an elite level defense it's not even close it's barely it's a below average defense uh, in Philadelphia, the New York Giants could not stop LaShawn McCoy. Here, they could not stop DeMarco Murray. Romo had his way with them. The Giants did not pose any pressure on Tony Romo. And in this football game, the New York Giants did pass protect a lot better, and Eli Manning played one of his best games of the year. 21 for 33, 248 yards, and three touchdown passes, including a fourth and goal late in the game with seven minutes to go to cut the lead to seven as he hit Odell Beckham Jr. And Odell Beckham had four catches, 34 yards, but he had two touchdowns, so that's proving to be a man worth of his 13th overall selection is Odell Beckham. Ruben Randall had six receptions today, 74 yards, and the Don returned Larry Donnell seven receptions for 90 yards. But someone who is not in participation today, or someone who did participate but did not participate well, was the New York Giants rushing attack. And they accumulated 104 yards on the ground, but Andre Williams today, he had 18 carries only for 50 yards, including his biggest run of the day was a 24-yard scamper. When you run the ball 18 yards for fi- 18 times for 51 yards, you are not getting it done at a consistent rate, and you're constantly putting your quarterback and your offense in third and longs, and therefore, it's hard to sustain drives, and a lot of times in the second half, you'd see the New York Giants itch in the Dallas territory, but they would not be able to convert and get into field goal or touchdown range because the bottom line was that they had either penalties and they had no rushing attack. Again, when you do not have a balanced attack rushing the football, you will then have a team that is very susceptible to losing. And that's where 0-6 came in last year, and that's why the Giants have dropped their last two games is because they cannot run the football. They're becoming way too one-dimensional to win in this league and their lines have just been getting gouged in terms of running the football. Well, I always like to bring in certain parts of the game that are what I would call the intangibles. And watching the game, there was something that, going deep into it, you couldn't help but notice. The roof was open today at Dallas Stadium, and it was it was sundown, twilight, and the sun was coming right in at an angle where just as so happens, the Giants were going into the sun in the fourth quarter. And if you saw how much glare there was on our friend Eli Manning, I'm not sure that was a coincidence. I think that this was purposeful. I, I'm going to have to see who won the toss and who chose the sides, but I think it was very smart on the part of the Cowboys. At the end of the third quarter, you'll recall Tony Romo was was holding his eyes against the glare. But in the all-important fourth quarter, where Dallas pulled ahead and essentially won the game, the sunlight and the glare from the roof being open had a huge effect on the game. When I look at the New York Giants, they scored a touchdown with around seven minutes to go. They have three timeouts left. Eli Manning's hot. Eli Manning has done this before. 
even two years ago, he did this to the Dallas Cowboys when the stadium first opened up. He scored 14 unanswered. Eli Manning can get on that type of run. He's that quarterback that when given time, he can make you pay. And he believes he's never out of a ball game. And the New York Giants just couldn't stop Dallas. Des Bryant, 160 yards today. Romo, way too much time to throw the football. And their defensive line could not stop Murray in the clutch on those last two drives. And, and that's really what hurt the Giants today is that with seven minutes left, they had an opportunity to take this game in the overtime and, and stop Dallas. They had three timeouts left. They had six minutes of clock, and Dallas, give them credit, Roma with a clutch throw to Des Bryant, DeMarco Murray, two more rushing first downs. And the Giants just, they couldn't get off the field when they needed to. And their defensive line, when they are winning football games, they are putting pressure on the opposing quarterback. They are making life for the opposing quarterback a real nuisance. And their defensive line has not played to the caliber that the New York Giants need. And this is one of the toughest schedules in the NFL the Giants are facing. But the bottom line is that Jason Pierre-Paul and that group During their three-game win streak, they were dominating the line of scrimmage, and it's not rocket science. That's the formula they need to run the football and to put pressure on the opposing quarterback. Well, there was a lot of exciting finishes today, and I'd like to flash to the game Buffalo Bills-Minnesota Vikings. This essentially was the Bills' season. They had their backs to the wall. They had to beat the lowly Vikings, and if they would have lost, they would have fallen out of the standings, and certainly the Patriots have been on a roll at 5-2. and two. So, Spence, why don't you just capture the excitement and emotion of the end of that game of the Bills and your analysis? Well, we were watching this football game in the man cave uh, in Pennsylvania with some Bills fans, some, uh, some people that, natives of Buffalo that have come down to Pennsylvania to graze us and to watch football with us. So basically, these Buffalo Bills, all game long were struggling, and Kyle Orton didn't have the chemistry, didn't look like he had the magic. Third and 17, Scotty Chandler dropped a pass on the left sideline that basically you thought that that was the game. Fourth and 17 from the 50-yard line. You can see the fans in Buffalo starting to put their jackets on and getting ready to head up the stairs out of their sections into their car into the parking lot. But there is still magic to be had at Ralph Wilson Stadium. Kyle Orton dropped back in the double coverage and threw a timing pattern right across the middle, an old slant route, right to Scotty Chandler, who redeemed himself for the previous drop, and Buffalo kept the drive alive. No timeouts left for the Buffalo Bills working. They had to essentially go 90 yards for this touchdown, and believe it or not, they did it. 15 plays, 3 minutes and 7 seconds, and Buffalo was able to punch this touchdown in there. And the thing that made the drive special was that you had Kyle Orton with around 30 seconds left hit a wide receiver down to the 1-yard line. And Buffalo essentially had first and goal on the 5 on the 1-yard line with 5 seconds left. So this would be essentially the last play of the game. And Minnesota decided to leave single coverage on the best rookie of this class in Sammy Watkins. And Kyle Orton hit Sammy Watkins. And, and just seeing the expression on Bills fans' faces, even ones in Pennsylvania, as I have mentioned. I mean, it was pure euphoria for this team. Uh, Buffalo Bills have had some very exciting wins over Detroit, over Chicago. It's just been a very entertaining season for Bills fans. And Kyle Orton got the job done, throwing the Scotty Chandler over the middle and just making some really clutch plays when they had to be at. And you look at Minnesota, they had tons of chances to really put this game away, especially when you have a field goal kicker in Blair Walsh. They were up 16-10, to and they couldn't get that two-possession score lead. They let the Bills hang around, and the Bills ended up punching it in and getting them at the horn. A combination of Minnesota not putting away these Bills, but a combination of the Bills showing resiliency and just uh, just making all-around clutch plays when they needed to be made. As we head into the next segment, we're going to talk about frustration 
boiling over inside the Chicago Bears locker room. Stay there. We'll be back in three minutes. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Check your feelings at the door and enter the man cave. Don't let the name fool you because we're here for anybody that wants to talk and listen in. Host J.D. Harris and Ray Austin are here to lead the forum from the fans, former players, owners, execs, and coaches. While inside the man cave, you do whatever you like. We won't judge. We'll even go beyond sports to talk technology, current events, and entertainment. Tune in every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Bruce the Sports Doc here on the Voice America Sports Network. And right now we are ready to begin our third segment of this show. We recapped this Sunday, and by Sunday I mean the professional level of NFL football. But let's rewind it back to what was a really electrifying and exciting weekend at the college football level and in the college football landscape. You had a game this weekend in Tallahassee, Florida, primetime, Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler calling the game on ABC, and you had two potential first-round draft picks playing quarterback against one another, one from Myrtle Beach, Carolina, Myrtle Beach South Carolina, and Everett Golson, a guy that really lit the world on fire his freshman year, then got caught with allegations of academic cheating, had to sit out a year, and then he came back and he had this fighting Irish team undefeated, including a very exciting last-second win versus Stanford at home in South Bend. So Notre Dame was ranked fifth in the country, and then you have Jameis Winston, who hasn't lost a game yet. Everybody at this point knows about Jameis Winston. Heisman Trophy winner, stolen crab-like guy, sexual assault, allegations hanging over Jameis Winston and now a newly developing story about autographs. So Jameis Winston is definitely not the most popular player in college football or the most well-liked, I should say. He is, in fact, very popular. But Bruce, you watch this football game between two heavyweights and Notre Dame is a team that just got hung 43 on them by a North Carolina team that is right in the middle of the ACC conference. So I really did not expect Notre Dame to compete and come as close as they did to winning this football game. But just explain to our viewers your thoughts on this unbelievable college matchup in Tallahassee Saturday. Well, this was my game of the year. Certainly the two two highly rated teams. Number five, Fighting Iris. Number two, Florida State. All the drama. And you had the quarterback, Golson, for Notre Dame who just mounted a very courageous final drive, and it looked like 
they could have done. It looks like Notre Dame is driving and wonderful passing, running attack, and it comes down to the last second. On fourth down, uh, Golson gets hit just enough that the ball floats out and gets intercepted right on the back of the end zone. So this is a nail butter right to the end. I thought both teams acquitted themselves well and extremely exciting. Jameis Woodson was razor sharp. He looked like a professional in this game. And this leads me to the question. As we head up, we've got Mississippi and Mississippi State. I want you to preview that game, and I want you to jump ahead to try to predict who are going to be the Final Four leading into the BCS. I think that this college football landscape and and this playoff picture is great for the sport. It's awesome because every week we get to imagine that we are a part of the college football committee deciding, and we get to have a voice right here on Voice America and and preview who we think will make it. But to get to your point, I think the Egg Bowl held in Oxford November 29th, the last game of the regular season. I see Mississippi State and Mississippi both being 10-0 going into that football game, 10 or 11-0. and 0. I both see them being undefeated. Now, the loser of that game will not go on to represent the SEC West in Atlanta in the championship game because the SEC West placed a winner of the SEC East. And the SEC East right now is held the leader of the pack and really the king of the SEC East is the Georgia Bulldogs. They have played two of the most complete games I've seen under the Mark Richt era, and they are a scary team. You thought that having Todd Gurley out would cause some problems to Georgia? How about no? Nick Chubb has come in and absolutely filled in his shoes and has done an admirable job for Georgia. Their defense has been lights out. 38-6 to in Fayetteville in front of all those Arkansas faithful, absolutely shutting up an entire state there in Arkansas. And the University of Georgia just hitting on all cylinders. I mean, going into a rat's nest, going into Columbia, and you're you're playing a team with Matty Mock and Mizzou that is undefeated in SEC play, and for the whole game, you don't even let them get inside your 40-yard line for an entire game. And they're a team in the top 25. So Georgia, I don't even think I have to say any more. They are on an absolute tear. So I really like Georgia to have to be to have that one loss. They did lose in Columbia. I see them going and being undefeated until they have to play Auburn. And I, I actually see Georgia getting into the SEC championship game, and they'll have a legitimately fr- they'll have a legitimate threat to get in. I like Michigan State, though. I like Michigan State. I like the two. I like the two Mississippi teams, and I, I like Michigan State to beat Nebraska in the Big Ten championship game. I don't think the Big Ten is a powerhouse conference. I see Connor Cook in Michigan State and uh, Mark D'Antonio and that team getting into the playoffs. So I'll take Mississippi, Mississippi State, Georgia, and uh, boy, and then I'll take Michigan State or Oregon. The Big 12 is just is all over the place, man, because you have, you have Oklahoma, you have Baylor. Everyone's knocking each other out, and I don't think Kansas State or TCU has the ability to hold it together. I mean, I know Jake Waters is doing an admirable job in Manhattan with that team, um, but I look at Kansas State and I still think that they're a beatable team. I, I just think the Big 12 will cancel each other out. I like Michigan State to get in, and Oregon has a lot of holes on their offensive line if they can get it together. So, Bruce, what are some of the teams that you've liked that you've seen play college football this year and – do you think that this format is very beneficial for the game? Well, I see all the power in the SEC. I've watched Old Miss games. I've watched Mississippi State, certainly Florida State. They're, they're just really loaded. Alabama, you know, lost a few games very uncharacteristically. They just teed off and won 59 nothing. I just think it stays right in the SEC. Um, Baylor, I thought, you know, was an exciting team, but they, they just went down in West Virginia. 
So I, I think that really takes them out of the, the BCS rankings. Uh, are there any dark horse teams left that you see that just could come out and uh, go on a run and, and make the big four? Oregon from the Pac-10 or from the Pac-12. That's a team with Marcus Mariota. You saw what they did to Michigan State. I mean, they can light teams on fire in very short amount of times. They could just pile on points, and with their offensive scheme, they're great at getting guys open in space. And if that offensive line comes back together, I mean, they annihilated UCLA, and then they took care of Siler Miles and that Huskies team in Eugene this weekend. I think Oregon is a very is a team on the rise. And, and a team with a winning pedigree. So I look at Oregon, and, and again, they have that win versus Michigan State. So they can definitely um, they can definitely get invited to this party and crash this party, which is the Final Four. Heading back to pro football, we were talking about the Denver Broncos. And the comment we made off air was that it's almost surprising that we see the Broncos in prime time because they're so exceptional as they are tonight, winning 45 to 12, that it, it ceases to be an interesting game. And they're really hitting on all cylinders. Tell us a bit about the Broncos. It seems that they truly did forget about the Super Bowl and they've moved on. Well, the Denver Broncos has, have always been the class of the AFC. And you look at Peyton Manning. Me and my friends were debating this. I really think he should be the top fantasy pick every single year because each game he uses Wes Welker. He turns guys like Emmanuel Sanders that were mediocre wide receivers at their respective spots, and he brings them into Denver, and he's just so involved with their process of being a wide receiver. And each game, I just see Denver, John Fox, and Peyton Manning so creatively that they really do an unbelievable job of, of getting guys open with rub routes. Uh, that's what they're great on is, is is routes where wide receivers bump into DBs and corners and get and get guys open. Demarius Thomas and Julius Thomas, two, the two Thomases, are two of the most athletic wide receivers in the game. And even though Peyton can't throw the ball as far or as hard or as fast as he used to, I mean, he's just so creative. Their offensive line, they're just a machine, the Denver Broncos. And each game that they're in prime time, they are at least going to hang 35 to 42 points on these guys they acquired to leave and wear in the offseason and for Denver in the AFC I really don't see any stark competition coming at them I really think it's their AFC again to lose but when they play an elite level defense like the Seattle Seahawks um, on a neutral field I think that the Seahawks were one of the only teams that could stop Denver honestly well, we're just coming to the end of this segment, and what we have coming up, I think you guys will be interested. We're going to be talking about Victor Cruz, his knee injury. We're also going to be talking about Michael Kendricks, his MCL strain, and we're also going to talk about Evan Mathis. So it's a tale of two MCLs with Evan Mathis, Kendricks, and Victor Cruz. We want to give you an update on his rehab. So we always like to give you a good mix of sports analysis and sports medicine. I want to thank my co-host, Spencer Grossinger, and wish him the best as he heads back to school for another week of college. And we want to thank the listeners for tuning in. We'll be back in three minutes with Sports Medicine. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injury. 
injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Check your feelings at the door and enter the man cave. Don't let the name fool you because we're here for anybody that wants to talk and listen in. Host J.D. Harris and Ray Austin are here to lead the forum from the fans, former players, owners, execs, and coaches. While inside the man cave, you do whatever you like. We won't judge. We'll even go beyond sports to talk technology, current events, and entertainment. Tune in every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the final edition of Bruce the Sports Talk. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to voiceamerica.com, the sports network, and I want to thank my host, Spencer the Wizard, for his analysis of pro and college football. It's that time again where we talk about sports medicine. Knee injuries are common in the NFL, and I think that this week is appropriate to talk about the full tear of the patellar tendon, the exact injury that Victor Cruz suffered last week against the Eagles. Let's replay the action. Victor Cruz is going. He's cutting to the right corner of the end zone. The ball is thrown a bit behind him. He twists. He's not hit, but he goes down. He essentially lost full power in his knee and was carted off the field. Having been in attendance for that game, I want to clarify some misconceptions. Number one, neither the Eagles training staff or the fans actually cheered his injury. In fact, it became extremely quiet at Lincoln Financial Field. And when Victor Cruz was carted off, he got a loud ovation from the Eagles fans. Further, in a very classy move, Chip Kelly visited Victor Cruz at the hospital and wished him well. So let's start from the beginning. What is the patellar tendon? The patellar tendon is the large tendon which is connected to the quadriceps. The quads, as we know, are the major muscle group above the knee that allows the athlete to extend the knee. And how is this patellar injured? It's usually injured in jumping or cutting. And in this case, it was, a, it was a complete tear of the patellar tendon. So the tendon was actually detached from the bottom part of the leg, which is called the tibial bone. So you have the, the big bone, which is the femur, the femur. Then you have the quads, and you have the insertion onto the patella, which is the bone of the knee. And that's contiguous, which means in continuity with the tibial bone. There are two types of tears. There's a partial tear of the patellar tendon, and there's a complete tear. A tear is also known as a rupture. Victor Cruz suffered a complete rupture, and therefore his tendon was ripped into two pieces. Many patients have fractured bones, fractured kneecaps, but Victor was lucky in the sense he, he only had a, a severe tear of the tendon, but he did not have any bony fracture under underlying. Further, let's flip to a bit of a lesson, a lesson on the knee. There are three ligaments. The ACL, the anterior cruciate ligament, which stabilizes the front part of the knee, a very common injury in football. And that knee stabilizes anterior motion of the knee. That is sliding forward. That's really the border of the front part of the knee. Then we have the MCL, which is often strained 
but not as much so torn. And that's the MCL, the medial collateral ligament. And then finally, the LCL, which is the ligament on the, the lateral or the side part of the knee. I want you to be aware that Victor Cruz did not suffer any tears of any of the three important ligaments. Then when we look at the knee, we think about the cartilage in the knee. And a cartilage is called a meniscus. So the meniscus really is a shock absorber of the knee. And there's a medial meniscus on the middle part of the knee and a lateral meniscus. So again, Victor Cruz didn't suffer a fracture, didn't suffer any ACL or MCL tears or strains, and didn't suffer any cartilaginous injury. Most people who tear their patellar tendon through and through require a surgery. So let's briefly discuss the surgery we're alluding to. Essentially, the surgical repair attaches the torn tendon to the kneecap. To attach the tendon, there are sutures, which are stitches, are placed in the kneecap and threaded through drill holes in the kneecap. The sutures are tied to the kneecap, and essentially there will be careful suturing to make sure that the kneecap closely matches that of the uninjured kneecap. That's called alignment. So that means that the femur bone will be in alignment with the tibial bone. Some surgeons use a wire, some use cables, and some use sutures. I'm not privy to the operating room report for Victor Cruz, and as always on this show, I don't want to speculate and pretend I know more than I do about a particular patient's surgery. If the tendon is shortened too much, it may be difficult, and they may need to use an allograft, which is additional tissue, additional tendon tissue from another part of the body. What are the complications of surgery? The most common complication includes weakness of the quadriceps and loss of motion. As with any surgery, there's always a chance of infection, a blood clot, or difficulty with anesthesia. We heard that the surgery went well with Victor Cruz, and he didn't encounter perioperative infection, bleeding, blood clot, or any anesthesia complications. I think this is a good time to talk about rehab. What is the rehabilitation for post-operative repairs of a complete tear of the patellar tendon? After surgery, the goal really is to control pain and swelling. Rest, ice, elevation. Oftentimes, knee motion will be instituted using a CPM, which is a continuous passive motion machine, CPM. And what we want to do is activate the quadriceps and keep them healthy and prevent atrophy. You'll often go home after the surgery with crutches and a knee, bl- a knee brace, which is locked at full extension. That basically prevents any excessive motion to the patellar and allows it to heal. Then there is... Uh, Elastic stockings, they're called TED stockings. They're very important because they prevent blood clots. There's a complication we call deep venous thrombosis that occurs when somebody, a patient is inactive. And that means the veins, uh, the, bul- the blood pulls in the veins and becomes a clot. Certainly to be avoided, usually low-dose heparin is instituted. Let's talk about the exercise program. There is quadriceps setting. That's maintaining muscle tone, essentially lying or sitting with the knees fully extended and essentially tightening and holding the, th- the thigh muscle, making the knee flat and straight. Then there are sitting heel slides and ankle pumps. Phase two is approximately two weeks after surgery. So Victor, again, we could project or extrapolate that he's going to go into phase two approximately next week. And then we'll have four weeks of phase two, which is the rehabilitation after the repair of the patellar and quadriceps tendon. I'm referring now to literature from Mass General Hospital at Harvard in the orthopedics department. So we always like to keep you abreast of the most current literature. What are the goals? To protect the tendon from overstress and allow healing, and then to regain the range of motion. And finally, to begin strengthening the quadriceps. At this point, you could fully extend and straighten the knee. You usually wear a brace, and weight-bearing is very gradual. You start off without weight-bearing on crutches, 
and over time, you gradually bear weight. You continue using the CPM, which is the Continuous Passive Motion Machine, according to the doctor's instructions, because that prevents contracture and it keeps motion in the knee joint. The next phase of exercises will be heel slides, sitting knee flexion, and hip abduction exercises. And then finally, we get to standing toe raises. And then there is a, uh, a six-week follow-up with the orthopedic surgeon. Now we go to the next phase, which is six to 12 weeks on, of the rehabilitation following the knee surgery itself. The next phase of the rehabilitation involves walking stairs, stationary bike, and swimming activities. Finally, wall, wall slides, squatting, setting up, and seated leg press. When you use leg press, you're really activating the quadriceps. You're also using a bit of adductors and hip flexors. And this exercise will be very rigorous. The average person will be exercising three times a week. However, professional athlete will probably be exercising five times a week to allow for appropriate exercise and recovering. And then finally, there will only be a neoprene, which is a light sleeve over the knee. And that's from phase four to phase five, which is 20 to 24 weeks after surgery. At that point, the patient progresses to walking, running, and then finally, physical contact. So this rehabilitation will carry Victor Cruz well into the summer training camp. And if all goes well, and I hear he's, he's doing well at least according to the schedule, he should be able to suit up and play for the New York Giants next year. So there you have it. Complete patellar tendon tears, surgery, rehab. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'm Dr. Bruce Grossinger, signing off for this edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. We'll see you all next week. Thanks a lot, and have a great week. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.